like I said, guys, this week we really wanted to look back at some of our favorite eras in R&B. Um, you know, we've spent the last decade, really, me and you and Tom Ed, talking about some of that new music that's been out. But uh, for the next couple of while, let's uh, let's revisit some of our favorite moments from 2009. Next week we'll do 2008, etc., etc. Um, Ed, you were just mentioning earlier that 2009 was like the beginning of a weird shift that sort of happened in R&B. Just reflect back on that time, man, 2009. A lot of great R&B still at that time, but what were your observations? Well, just to go back and kind of reemphasize some of what we were talking about earlier, 2009 was the year, when you look back at it, that a lot of young stars were starting to come into prominence, and it should have been, if it was any other time, their time to shine. We're talking about Carrie Hilson, your boy Marcus Cooper, Pleasure P., the Dream, and a lot of these guys did have um, Melanie Fiona. A lot of them did have big success, Latoya Luckett. But we thought that they were going to be propped up as the next stars of R&B in the way that we saw in the early 2000s with Alicia Keys and, and that kind of camp. However, it didn't quite work out like that because as we moved into the new decade, that is when hip-hop really hit the next level. And yeah. what Lil Wayne was doing in like 2008, 2009, and T-Pain and Kanye, whether it was auto-tune, whether it was more of this rock star presence for hip-hop artists, hip-hop became the dominant genre and slowly began, as most of you know watching this, to eat away at R&B. So in 2009, we were starting to shuffle some things. There were some new artists that were starting to get some prominence that you would have thought by like... I don't know, 2011 or so, they would be at the top of their game. But it didn't quite work out like that because y'all love EDM and autotune too much. So that didn't quite work. But 2009 was the year that things began to transition in that way. And then in hindsight, things got kind of weird. Yeah, when I think back to 2009, immediately the first name that comes to mind is The Dream. Like He really took over the genre that year. He came out in 2007, I think, but he really and truly put a stamp in 2008. And by 2009, he was everywhere from Rihanna's album, his album, Mariah's album, Electric Red. I want to talk about that album later, too. But, man, the dream was everywhere. He was everywhere. Don't forget Beyonce as well, because Beyonce was more 2008, but she was so prevalent in 2009 as well. So she kind of... It was really the rise of Beyonce as far as a mainstream pop star, but we'll get into that another time. But he yeah. really helped shepherd the sound and the writing during that prep, that period. So again, he was going to be one that was going to be propped up in his sound if I had to bet money on it. You know, the dream isn't always my favorite artist. We'll get to that another <laughs> time. But when we talk about success, you can't hate on that. And he was definitely what I would have thought would be the preeminent sound that would take over the next decade. No, absolutely. So, Ed, what I want to do here, I got the Billboard list for 2009 open. This is the year-end countdown. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of these songs are from 2008 that bled over, but I'm going to quickly go through these here. You tell me which songs you love. Just pause me when you want to talk about a song here. I'll do the same. And then uh, we'll we'll, we'll just create some discussion here. So at number 25, Boyfriend Number 2 by Marcus Cooper. Oh, your boy. The ladies love that song. I don't know why they should. Well, I guess I know why they should. The brothers, (laughs) we not going to like that song as much. But I guess the ladies, I understand why they like it. I did like it. I thought that this was another artist 
Pleasure P, he was on his way up, and this was one of the songs that put him there. And shoutouts to Rico Love, that was one of his first big, big hits, so that was mm-hmm. a big one. 24 Ain't I by Young LA featuring Young Dro and T.I. I don't even remember that one. I don't remember that. I'm sure it was all over the late stages of 106 and Park, but I don't remember it. Somebody <laughs> in the comments will remind us. Mm-hmm. 21 to 23, we had uh, we had Neo at Miss Independent 23. That was from 08. Diva, I think, was from 08 as well. Mm-hmm. Both of those. Tr- tr- Trust was from 08 as well. So, I mean, all great songs, but we'll talk about that the following uh, episode when we talk about 2008. But number 20, Jeremiah, Birthday Sex. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing that song. I will say this. I was not a fan of that song at all when it first came out. But it's <laughs> one of those ones that just eventually wore me down. And for a short time in like 2009, I actually was a Jeremiah fan. I like this. I like the song. What was it like? I'm a star or something like that. Yep. I should have told you I'm a star. I liked all those singles. Now today... We'll have another conversation about them. But back then, mm. Jeremiah was cool with me. Yeah. Number 19, we had K-John, On the Ocean Ed. This song was massive, and I just realized he had a number one album with that album. That song, people, if you weren't around, you'd be like, who is that and what song is that? I forgot about it until we worked on the top 100 songs of the 2000s. I can't remember if you helped me with that list or somebody yeah. else was on it. But that song came up in the countdown, and I was like, I forgot about this song. That song was huge at the time. If you missed it, that was just kind of a moment in time, but what a moment. <laughs> yep. And then number 18, Successful by Drake, Trey, and Wayne. This was like the early explosion by Drake. Like, Drake today is a mega-duper, monumental, gigantic superstar, but he, even with Successful, I, I remember when that came out and just like for me because i grew up listening to early 2000s r&b when drake came in with that sound which is like that moody slowed down sound i didn't get it right away it it took me a long time i got it i actually was a fan early on like this era of drake i liked and he began to of course reshape what music would be going into it again if we had to pick up everybody that we're discussing today who would be like the preeminent star of the next decade? I would not have put money on Young Aubrey. But mm. I like this. I thought this was good. And I did like at the time the kind of more what we know as vibes. But I did like that more slowed down sound at the time. Yeah. That was uh, that For y'all was a great played it to death. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to quickly go through this because I think a lot of these are from 08 as well. So we have Live Your Life by T.I. That song was played to death. Not uh, my if favorite. If This Isn't Love, I think that was in 08 as well by J. Hud. I did Neo, like that one. That was a great one. Neo Mad, 08. Ego, that was 08. Mary Mary, God in Me. Was that 08 or 09? I want to say that was 08. Well, it may have been... I think that was 08 because it was definitely before I moved here. So it was either early 09 or 08. Yep. Uh, somebody just asked, was Tanks Now or Never 09 or 010? Nope, that was 2010. Yep, I was here. Now that or Never, 09. that was 2010. So, number 12, Young Money, Every Girl. Number 11, Knock You Down, Carrie Hilson, 2008. Number 10, Ed, I gotta talk about this one. Last Chance by Genuine. Yo, boy! Dude, Genuine by 2005, people had written him off after Back to the Basics. And I remember during that period, because I was really following his his career up until that song, 
and like he had gone through like signing to a label that didn't exist. He went. <laughs> I through, forgot about this. Yeah, he signed to a label that didn't. I that never made sense to me. But left Sony, signed to a label that didn't exist, got into a huge lawsuit. Eventually, found his way back on Notify Records, linked up with B Cox, and man, like this song really brought him back. Like this was a big Urban AC record. And it's one that we don't really talk about that much anymore. I feel like mm-hmm. another one that was kind of like a moment in its time and it didn't reach the Pony Song Anxious levels. But yeah. for a comeback track, that worked very well for him. Yeah. Um, number nine is So Beautiful Beautiful by Music. Eight yep. is She Got Her Own by Neil with Jamie Foxx. Love that, that one. one. Love, love it. that one. Uh, Turning Me On, Carrie Hilson, number seven. These are a lot. Of, a lot of these are two, 2008. Uh, Single Ladies, number six. That was 08. Yeah, Rocking That Thing by Dream. That was 2009, I believe, right? No, it definitely was. That was a huge one. Huge record. Uh, number four, Best I Ever Had. Drizzy. Uh, oh, I was going to say, who did that? But yes, I forgot about that. Again, early Drake, I could get with. It was, my wife was, my brother-in-law was so into him. And he was one of those artists that really spoke to that generation, that demographic. He thought that Drake was the best thing ever, and he ended up proving everybody right because he thought this dude was going to take over. And I was like, yeah, he's fine. He's okay. But, mm-hmm. man, he took off. Number three was Breakup by Mario. Shout-outs to Sean Garrett. I totally forgot that about one. that song. Do you remember that time when Sean Garrett had, like, three songs out that sounded exactly the same in every single yeah. one of them? That was, there was yes, Breakup. Yes, I did. There was Diva, and there was um, a Millie. Right? Yep, they Those all three. had that Bangladeshi kind of... If you know the songs, you know what we're talking about. I can't even describe it. That <laughs> but th- that was the sound of the era. Yeah. It's it's funny looking back at it now. Like When you listen to like R&B today, it's still hip-hop driven. But man, they don't bang like, like that anymore. Bangladesh- well, <laughs> you need to go to Soul and Stereo to hear me complain about that all the time. Yes, if you're going to have hip-hop in it, at least have some energy in these songs. What are y'all doing with these lullabies? You're putting me to sleep. <laughs> Man, uh, at number two, I want to talk about this one because I remember how big it was, and I also got to say, like every you know showcase that I go to for R and B, all these new artists that come out, they always cover this song, "Pretty Wings" by Maxwell, because it is one of the best. And we'll talk about this later on when I did my um, Kings and Queens of R and B for the decade, and each year I picked a king for each one or queen. I felt like that this was Maxwell's year to me when it comes to pure R&B. And that yep. song was one of the songs that kind of catapulted him. What is it about this song? Like, people still love it. I just seen someone wrote amazing record, amazing it's, song. It's beautiful. One thing that yeah. I have missed, and here I go on my old man. So if you got beef, well, if you got beef, you're here. Just tweet, DM me at Edward Bowser because you know where to go. <laughs> this is easy when we do it like this, Kyle. But, like, to me, one thing that's missing, especially in R&B these days, there are lots of songs about breakups and heartache and I'm mad and I want to have sex, but there's no, like, beauty in the songs. And that's just a beautiful song. Someone just said, my my thing went too fast, but said it was timeless. Like, that's a record that's timeless because the lyrics sound like they could have been written in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 10s. O's, like, that's a timeless record. It's not a record that sounds like, oh, you know that came out in 96 because they're talking about Bill Clinton. Like, you know (laughs) what it is because of what it sounds like, but this record just sounds like beauty, and that's why it works. 
Yeah, that's a great record. Like I said, people still cover that to this day. Got to gotta bring your A game when you cover a song like that. But You better. Don't mess up Maxwell's song. <laughs> and then number one for the year, Ed. This came out in 2008, really late 2008. It was Blame It on the Alcohol by Jamie Foxx and T-Pain. Big, T- big part. I know how you feel about that song. But T-Pain. Let me, but this is what I found interesting, Ed. The album, Jamie Foxx's Intuition album, came mm. out in 2008. Yep. We're talking about 2009 here. When you look back, that album, I think, charted, it debuted at, like, number six or five or whatever. When this song blew up in March, it hit number one in March, mm-hmm. that album went from number six. It was it was falling off a little bit, and it shot right back up to number one. Like, when you think about that in 2020 days where R&B albums last, like, four days, and then we're on to the next one, that's insane. Yep. A couple of months later, it's back at number one. Like, we don't see that anymore. Well, it's also just a different time because remember the era of the single. Like, all it took was one hot song. You know, it's the old kind of Jay-Z line about Memphis Bleak being one hit away. And that was true back then. All you needed was one song, and that would catapult everything you did. Now everything is just so fast and so interchangeable, it won't matter. But back then, all you needed was that one hit, and that one hit would drive your album. You didn't have to worry about TikToking or doing whatever. You just need that one hit, and that's what Jamie had with that song. And that was able to take intuition to the next level because it was starting to slip and slide, but that gave it the rocket fuel it needed. It's kind of interesting when I look back at that song, and maybe we'll talk about this the following uh, the next episode, but his fan base, because on his first album, it was very, very R&B. And I would say this, or his second album, his first album came on the 90s, but this yeah. album actually had a lot of great R&B on it too, but to put out Blame It, like, do you think that took away from his fan base? Because from my perspective, it just brought him to a new audience. Well, that's the thing. It was bringing him to a new audience. I've talked about this before on Soul and Serio, and I can't remember when it was before. Again, this era is really means a lot to me because it was that year transition. So 2009, we moved from Louisville to Birmingham, and I think it was either early 09 or 08 when my wife interviewed Jamie and asked him about, like, how did you go from the peak this era to this? And he was like, man, I want to do the piano ballads. I want to do this stuff. But my label was like, you got to put out the T-Pain joints and the blame it's because that's going to take you to the next level. He was kind of even like, I don't even necessarily want to do it. But they want to do it because it's going to give me a new audience. And say what you will, it worked. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you think about it from that perspective. It's like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. As an artist, what do you do? Do you listen to what the label says? I mean, in 2020, I just had this conversation with someone earlier, actually, when they, were, uh, when they asked me about Aaliyah's album. And they were like, uh, I don't understand why they had to put those Timbaland records on it. This was her self-titled album. She should have been able to, you know, showcase her artistry. I was like, that, that's a different time. If you're talking 2020, it's all about now artistry and authenticity. But back then, it was about names. It was about associations. And it was about hits. It was a different time. It was a whole different time. I remember, and I have continued to do this, especially in the hip-hop world. You see my man Biggie behind me. On Biggie's final album, before he passed, his album was just a star-started array of like the hottest producers at the time. Remember mm-hmm. in the 90s, you got one producer, 
and they work with you through the whole joint. Biggie was like, we're going to go the super du- producer route. We're going to get co-signs from everybody, and that's how we're going to produce it. They think back to how that trickled over to R&B. So you yep. got to have a Timberland joint. You got to have a Pharrell joint. You got to have these built-in producers that have their own fan bases because you know if you're a Pharrell stan or a Neptune stan like Kyle and you hear that they produced an artist that you aren't that familiar with, you're going to go check it out because you want to see what the Neptunes are going to do for this record. So that is what the kind of mentality was then. I, it's weird in 2020 kind of vision, but yeah. back then it made perfect sense. Made perfect sense. Hey, that's why I, I, I got into so many... Like even I'll give you Justin Timberlake's Justified album. If it weren't for the Neptunes and Timbaland, I might not even have listened to that album. I'm just, just saying. Real. No, me too. <laughs> I mean, my wife was a big NSYNC fan. I was not. I was... Everybody was like, oh, Gone is so great. And I was like, it's all right, I guess. But the only reason I checked it out was because of who was helming the production. And then I became a huge fan. Mm-hmm. So, Ed, I've got the Grammys uh, award list for 2010 because, you know, how the Grammys works is they broadcast it in February to look back at the year before. So I'm looking at Correct. the 2010 Grammys here. So no one thinks I'm crazy. Um, first of all, there's like seven or eight R&B categories here. That's unheard of. What a time. <laughs> what a time. Now find seven or eight R&B albums that came out in 2020. Good luck. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to name each category, and I want you to try to figure out who won and who should have won. Oh, God. Are you going to name the artist, like the nominee? Because there's no way I'm going to remember who was nominated at that time. I'll, I'll give it to you. Don't worry. All right. Um. Best female R&B vocal performance, we had Single Ladies by Beyonce, It Kills Me by Melanie Fiona. Speaking of that, so that song is insane. It Kills yes. Me with Ghost. Yes. Ooh, Another one that I thought was going to be, this was, the decade was going to yep. be hers, and it didn't quite work out. Uh, that was then by Layla Hathaway, Going Through Changes by Lettucey, Lions, Tigers, and Bears by Jasmine Sullivan. Um, Performance, I would say... I would do Melanie, but it was probably Layla, because Layla win everything. Uh, it was actually Beyonce, so. Oh, well, how dare I doubt Beyonce? <laughs> Don't doubt Beyonce. Uh, best male R&B performance here. Pretty Wings by Maxwell. The Point of All, the Point of It All by Anthony Hamilton. So Beautiful Another by Music one. Soul Child. Under by Pleasure P. Shouts to Tank on that one. That was a crazy record. I love that one. And There Goes My Baby by Charlie Wilson. Um, I love the Charlie Wilson joint. Yeah. Um, I would hope it's Maxwell. Yeah, it was Maxwell. Okay, that's the yeah. only right answer for me. Yep. Uh, best R&B performance by a duo or a group with vocals. That's actually funny now that there used to be a uh, a group nominee. What's a what's an R&B group? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> well, this was collaboration, so we had "Blame It" by Jamie Foxx and T Pain. Chocolate High by NDRE and Music Soul Child. That's a great song. Yeah, no one talks about that one anymore. That was a good one. If You Leave by Music and Mary J. Another great one. Higher Ground by Robert Rudolph and the Clark Sisters. And Love Has Finally Come at Last, Calvin Richardson. Shout out my boy Calvin Richardson. Mm. If Tom was here, he'd be all over me for that. Um, (laughs) Jamie won, didn't he? Of course he did. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, T Pain. We love T Pain. Best uh. traditional R and B performance. 
At Last by Beyonce, Soul Music by Anthony Hamilton, Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight, Boney James and, uh, James and Quinn, Soul Love by Anne Nesby, and Woman Gotta Have It by Calvin Richardson. I feel like Boney James won that. I can't remember if Boney won that. Did Boney win that? No, Beyonce won that. <laughs> Why do I keep going against Beyonce? I guess yeah. I was thinking that she wasn't like the automatic win in 2010. I thought that was later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? As I as I go through this list, I start to remember, and this is what music does, right? It takes you back to certain places. Like I remember watching this the, the, this Grammy ceremony, this award show. I remember being at the TV and and. I don't know if the R&B awards were broadcasted, but I just remember like this time, and that's what music does, right? When you start thinking back to these titles. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there are people in the comments too. Like they're going too fast, y'all. I ain't got my glasses on, so the comments are like that big, so I can't see them. Kyle will have to tell me what's going on. But when music is so great because it's so much nostalgia and it takes you immediately back to that time it's a time traveling device because you can just immediately go back and remember where you were what was going on at the time that's why music's cool mm-hmm. uh best r&b song I, I feel like i've already named all these songs uh single ladies by beyonce blame it by jamie fox lion tigers and bears by jasmine pretty wings by maxwell under by pleasure p who won this one ed oh gosh again it should be maxwell but no telling mm-hmm. who won uh beyonce won that one why I do I this, keep doing this? I think Beyonce like dominated this year, if I remember correctly. Well, this was the year where it wasn't exactly when she became the Beyonce of now, but this is where the steps were taken, and it started with that single, ladies. Yep. Sh- shout out my dad, Damon. I did see that. I did see that close enough to see that he was talking about. He remembered when Single Ladies debuted. That was a mm. big one. Then when that freaking video came out. Yep. Uh, what I want to do here, Ed, uh, we've got best R&B album and best contemporary R&B album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you who the winner is, but first I want to hear what were your favorite three R&B albums from this year? I want to see how close you were to getting these, you know, aligning with the Grammy nominations. What oh, were your please. favorite three R&B albums? I've got no, mine. I, is- I'm actually, I'm actually curious to see what yours is like compared to mine too. Now, you know, goodness well, the Grammys are not good about picking the best. They're great about picking the most hype, but not really the best. So, hey, 2009... Ed, hold on, Ed. We have uh, we, we, we have Jimmy Jam in here. He's Jimmy Jam's of, in here? He is in here, so you got to be careful. Shout, he's, he's shout running out, that Jimmy Grammy Jam. Committee. <laughs> well, he wasn't running, and he knows what's up now. So, he's yeah. going to get us right okay. for 2021. Don't worry about that. My man's on it. All right. Shout out to the homie. But, um... No, what was I saying? My favorites at the time, number one, had to be Maxwell, Mm. Black Summer's Night. That was up there. This was like, and I know that your boy Tom is not a big one of this one. You aren't either. And this was late 2009. I thought Alicia Keys' Element of Freedom Mm. was like the last great Alicia Keys album. So that one's on the list. Um... Probably three would have to be your boy, Trey Songz Ready. I was waiting that for was that. the breakout for him. I so those are probably my three. Okay, my three here. Um, I mean, Maxwell has to be there because that album was just amazing. I love it. Uh, Trey would have to be there as well for Ready. 
Uh, Damon said A. Marie. That was a cool one. But I'm going to go with a sleeper here. Number three for me would have been Latoya's Lady Love. I had a list, and we hadn't got to this yet, of people that I felt like were the unsung heroes of 2009. And yep. that, my girl, was on that one. I yeah. thought that I thought we really slept on Latoya. I know she's doing her thing on Greenleaf now. Well, Greenleaf gone off, so I hope she get a new job. But my point is... <laughs> She was doing her thing in the acting world now, but man, we messed up with her with a talent. I love that album, and her debut, I loved even more. I mean, let's talk about that Trey album really quickly here. Trey, first album, didn't really do much. Second album, had a few hits, but again, didn't really do much. This third album, he exploded into superstardom. He cut the braids. He got super buff. Like, this was a different Trey. This was, we talk all the time about how timing's everything. I'm going to talk about this briefly, so calm down, Team Breezy. <laughs> Talking about my cousin, it's fine. But we all know what happened with my cousin Chris in 2009. And when that happened, that caused a gap in R&B. R&B needed that young superstar to, like, take it to the next level. And your boy Trey, another VA native, shout out VA, we always do it big, slid right into that role with the new look, the more adult sound. He had kind of... Drake, who was, like, doing his thing, he was really working with him a lot. This was, like, the opportunity for Trey to hit the next level, and he took every bit of that opportunity. And that's why Ready Today is still his signature release. Mm-hmm. And if you think back to LaToya, Lady Love, I don't know how much you remember about this, but there were, like, petitions going on by her fans. I don't know if fans are this driven now. I mean, I guess they are because I see all those GoFundMes, but... No, like, don't I get remember, them started. Like... The label, I think she was at Capitol at the time, there was a bunch of merging going on, and they were done with the album after, what was before Regret? I think it was Not Anymore. I think that was the record, and they were done with that album after that. And then the fans actually petitioned for there to be another single, and it ended up being Regret, and that was a huge hit. So the fans called it right on that one. See, a lot of times, and we know, we talk about the social media era, and we talk about stands, and we talk about the negativity of stands, and how they mess things up. But in some ways, as we see here, that they really helped extend the life of that album. At that point, I already had the album, I loved Regret, so I was glad to see it get pushed out of the single, and to bring in other fans, because to me, that was the best song on the whole album. So it deserved to get that shine. So again, sometimes we kind of kind of push away the stands but they're they're heartfelt they know good music they want their artists to win so they were as good as any street team so props to them for doing it mm-hmm. so Ed, let's go back to 2009 what album that came out that year were you most excited for or anticipating before it came out let me start with mine i okay. man, because the dream was really taking over him and tricky they really put their stamp on R&B. So when I found out that they were working with Mariah, I was like, I'm all in. And the album was actually, it was solid. It was good. It's not one of my favorite three that I listed, but it was great. So the memoirs, Imperfect Angel, that has to be up there for me as the most anticipated that year for me. I remember that one very well. And shout out to the Soul and Stereo Cypher. If you're on Facebook, Go over there, check that out. Just put in Soul and Stereo Cypher in the, in the little search bar. Our girl Cassandra was talking about that album, I believe, a couple days ago. Yep. Somebody was. And I agree. That's one of those albums where we talk about Mariah's Greatest. That one never comes up. But it's really solid. That's the They have a Nicki Minaj song that I like. What does that <laughs> tell you? If that tells you something, then there you go. I like that album a lot. For me, though, 
my most anticipated. And it wound up just keeping it real because your boy keeps it real. If you're mad, DM me, leave Kyle alone. DM Mm -hmm. me. The one that I was looking forward to greatly and I was a little disappointed in was A. Marie's third album or fourth album or however. She's got some weird stuff going on. But the album that Damon mentioned, I love the cover of that In Love and War. I thought the cover was cool. But she had a single that I loved. I loved the single. And I was a huge A. Marie stan in the 2000s. So I was like, okay, this is going to be... And she had just released the album that kind of went um, international. It took forever to get stateside. A lot of label politics. So this was her first album, I think, with Def Jam. And she was ready to go. And it just wound up being okay. It, it wasn't her sound. It just sounded like anybody else could have kind of released that album. I did like it all right, and I loved the first single. But that one by far was the one I was looking most forward to. And it just kind of was an answer, man. You know one that was really hyped up by everyone? I actually really like this album, too. But Whitney Houston's I Look To You, her last album. Mm-hmm. Her final one. I remember that the hype around that one, too. And... I mean, there's a lot of great joints on that one, Ed. Is that the Million Dollar Bill song? Yep, Was that on that? Yep. yep. Now, what a fun song. And another song we don't talk about enough. That was so much energy. Yeah, that was a good one. I'm just going to name a couple more here, and then we're going to get into this Grammy selection here. So we had Robin okay. Thicke's Sex Therapy, The Dream. Another one. I really like that one. That was all right. <laughs> it was just okay. I like that album. Uh, the Dream's Love Versus Money. Um... Mary J's Stronger with Each Tear. Brian Wilson, yep. Shaw Day and Prince, yep. Uh, Carrie Hilson, In a Perfect World. Again, a lot of hype around that one. Uh, Fantasy Ride by Sierra. That album got pushed back and leaked, like, so badly. I'm surprised. Is that the album where she was dressed like Melina from Mortal Kombat on the front? Yes, it was. Okay. That's the only thing I remember about that album. I feel like she had on the Mortal Kombat skin. Um... We had uh, the man that we can't talk about his album Untitled. Oh, I was like, who are we talking? Okay, that man. All right, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. album. I know we can't talk about him, but I will say that album did have a couple songs I really liked. I'll leave it at that before y'all destroy my DMs. I, I don't know who you're talking about anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had Chris Brown Graffiti, which I think is like the lowest rated album of all time on your website. It's not the lowest one of all time, but it's probably top three bottom. I am not a fan of graffiti. Mm. All right. Well, let's get into this list here, Ed, of top R&B albums and top contemporary R&B albums. Let's go with the contemporaries first. Uh, We had uh, I Am Sasha Fierce by Beyonce, Intuition by Jamie Foxx, The Introduction of Marcus Cooper by Pleasure P., Ready by Trey and Three Rings by T Pain. No, oh. um, you know when I'm not picking. Um, of those, I would, I my selection of best would be Trey. But since I have proven that every time I choose against Beyonce, that's a fatal mistake. It was Beyonce. It was actually T Pain. Oh my god! I'm just kidding. It's not, it wasn't T Pain. <laughs> I'm about to throw my phone. <laughs> Relax. It's going it to be was... falling down like yours was at the beginning. <laughs> it was Beyonce. I think that album came out in 08. So it just... was an 08 album. But it transitioned because of the uh, the, the deadline that the Grammys has. Yep. So, um, yeah, Beyonce won. Uh, best R&B album, Black Summer okay. Night, 
Maxwell, The Point of It All, Anthony Hamilton, Testimony, Volume 2, NDRE, Turn Me Loose, Lettucey, Uncle Charlie by Charlie Wilson. First of all, Ed, can we give a shout out to Lettucey? She just dropped her new album on Friday. I hear great things about that one. Yeah, I have, um, this weekend was quite busy for your boy. I have not had a chance to hear it yet, but Lettucey rarely has a bad album. So I'm sure it's, I heard nothing but great things. So hopefully I'll be able to come back next week and rave about it. But I'm sure it was pretty solid. And Charlie Wilson, Uncle Charlie, I actually really love that album. I haven't had, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I remember really liking that one. But the winner of it, of course, was Maxwell. As it should be. As it should be. Yeah. So... And well, shout out to Anthony Hamilton. That album was really good too. I one on my list of album rankings, albums I need to rank. He's pretty high on the list. I yeah. really like Point of It All. Yeah. So Ed, I think that's it for this episode. We've been talking for about forty-five minutes on two thousand and nine. I'm not sure what else was on your list. I think you had a king and queen of each year for this, for yep. this year. Who was the and, king and the runner-up for this year? The king, as I already mentioned this year, for me, is that it's not the person with the hottest singles or anything. It's the person who best embodied R&B. And to me, that was Maxwell. And it had Mm -hmm. to be calendar for calendar. So even though I liked Alicia Keys' album, that came out in, like, December. So she couldn't have kind of qualified. But to me, it was Maxwell. That was the person who really embodied R&B for that year. And then I think the runner-up was Beyonce, if I remember right. Mm. Because, again, her album came out, as as we've seen, came out at the end of 2008, but really dominated that year. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, Did I mention Electric Red's album? I don't think I did, right? You did not. You did not. Shout-outs to Electric Red. They had a fire debut album. That album, again, that was around my transition period. I don't know if I've ever heard it. But the internet has been hyping this thing up for 10 years. So I probably need to take this week to just go check it out. Yeah, it's like Twitter's thriller. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's like the Twitter thriller. (laughs) So, Ed, that's it for me, man. You know I got so we've been uh, doing these great interviews. We're just trying to celebrate R&B, look back at the past, celebrate the present, and look forward to the future. What's going on with So In Stereo? Well, man, everything. Most of you know, watching this, know that we came off this Friday, a big Friday for R&B releases. It was just stuff everywhere. Your boy has not been able to catch up because work is crazy and life is crazy. So I did, though, have a chance to review Tony Brax's new album. Go check that out. It's soulandstereo.com. One of my favorites. It may be top one or two R&B releases for the year so far. So don't miss that. Check that out. For my hip-hop heads, we also got the review of the Loxus new album, Living Off Experience. That's out on the site as well. And then we have an interview with my boy Kill Pratt, who is an artist. who is He dropped a double album this year, and it's really good, y'all. So if you want to hear some introspective hip-hop, that meaningful hip-hop that really talks to the essence, go check out the interview that we have there. Shout out my man, Jacob Frazier, who did that interview for Soul & Stereo. And that's there as well. Awesome. So, guys, I appreciate you guys for joining us on this. Uh, again, this is the trial version. We're still trying to figure out the ins and outs of how to work this. But next week, we'll talk about 2008. And uh, I think it'll be fun. A lot, a lot of great albums that came out that year. So mm-hmm. I look forward to talking to everyone again. Uh, you can subscribe to our, our, our Apple Music, our Spotify. We post all of these in there. I think I'm going to post it on Instagram as well, YouTube. So... Just keep keep it posted. I'll keep you guys posted, and uh, we'll do this again next week, Ed. 
All right, player, keep R&B alive. All right. <laughs>